Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have another edition of the Bean Report. Also, we'll get a crop update from Alberta. And up first in today's country comment, provincial entomologist John Gawlowski will stop by with an insect update. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba's flea beetle population is starting to decline. I got an update from entomologist John Gavlosky. Once we get into later June, we get a lot of natural mortality in the flea beetle population. So the flea beetles that we see in the spring and early summer, they're the exact same flea beetles that have overwintered. So there's no new flea beetles being produced over that time period. They're, they're strictly overwintered flea beetles, and they gradually start dying out over June. Normally, once we get into the latter part of June, it's becoming quite noticeable, and you'll see that population really dwindle. And by uh, July, you'll uh, barely see them. Um, there will be eggs and larvae in the soil over, that, over July and into August. And then in August, you start seeing the uh, late summer population, which is what will overwinter for the next year. And, you know, I guess overall, what, uh, what was the impact of flea beetles this year compared to, say, other years? It was fairly heavy this year. And one of the reasons is, aside from the fairly heavy flea beetle population, we also had canola sitting in the vulnerable seedling stage for an extended period of time. And that works to compound the flea beetle injury. And the reason that is you, you get about three weeks, maybe uh, upward towards four weeks of protection from the seed treatment, give, uh, depending on conditions. But if it's taking longer than three to four weeks to get from the data seeding to the more resistant uh, stages, which uh, once you get three to four true leaves, it gets a bit more resistant. But if it stays in that seedling stage too long, the seed treatments wear out, and then people have to do foliar sprays. And uh, we've been uh, talking about grasshoppers for a few weeks now. Um, where are things at there? So grasshopper hatch is getting fairly close to being complete. Uh, the model that we put in last week's update was actually June 13th, so that was it's, um, a little bit outdated now even. Um, but we're probably at the point where we're, um, well, the majority of grasshoppers have, have hatched now, so now is a really good time to be scouting areas that had lush green vegetation late last year, so uh, field edges, the roadside ditches, pastures, uh, late crops. Those will be the areas where you're more likely to find any higher levels. So hatches wrapping up, now is a good time to be scouting. We're still seeing some cutworms out there? Yeah, but they're wrapping up too. Um, there was a little bit of cutworm activity reported last week, so a little bit of late control that was happening. But at the same time, the cutworms are starting to turn to pupa. So their season is wrapping up. And just like with the flea beetles, usually by the end of June, things have pretty much wrapped up. So we're into the latter part right now. You still might find some. I talked with an agronomist uh, late last week, they were still finding some redback cutworms, but they were pretty much fully grown, and they would be turning into pupa. So 
their decision was not to worry about trying to treat the field. Um, they're at the point where they're fully grown, already starting to pupate. Any issues with aphids? Well, not really issues. Um, for the aphids that will feed on cereal crops, there was some reports in the um, south-central region, that Altona area, uh, some reports about aphids being found on cereal crops. And I did get a report of aphids showing up in peas, but not at high levels at this point. These are just more observations. So it's, again, a, maybe a heads-up for people to um, check and scout their crops, but um, nothing of uh, economic significance at this point. Any other issues at this point? or The only other thing uh, that's worth covering right now, um, somebody sent me a uh, sample of some really tiny yellow beetles with black spots that they found in a dry bean field. Now, this was up near Portage of the Prairie. And the insect turned out to be bean leaf beetle. It's not a common insect in Manitoba. We get these infrequent reports of them. Some years um, there's no reports at all, and I don't see them. In other years you find a few of them. They're, they've never really been known to be at pest levels here. But again, every now and then some pop up. So we put a picture of these beetles in our crop pest update just to try to get the word out what they look like. Um, so if anybody is in soybeans or dry beans, you find tiny yellow beetles with black dots. Sometimes that yellow is almost towards reddish. Um, grab a sample, send them in. I'm trying to track uh, where they're showing up this year and just how abundant they are. But I'm not really expecting this to be something that would be of economic significance. That was John Gavlosky with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Flea beetle populations in Canola are declining. John Gavlosky is with Manitoba Agriculture. It was fairly heavy this year, and one of the reasons is aside from the fairly heavy flea beetle population, we also had canola sitting in the vulnerable seedling stage for an extended period of time. That works to compound the flea beetle injury. And the reason that is you, you get about three weeks, maybe upward towards four weeks of protection from the seed treatment, depending on conditions. He notes foliar insecticide applications for flea beetles in canola have been widespread with multiple applications having occurred in some fields. A hay farmer in the Steinbach area says timely rains helped with yields in their first cut. Tyrone Lang of Lang Spring Farm says they cut about 350 acres wrapping up last week. Lang says he expects the quality of this first cut will be pretty good. And as for yields... I would say, all in all, it, was, it would have been average to what we've seen in Manitoba or in, in our southeast anyway. Uh, we are, we're quite happy with the yield uh, and more happy that how well it wintered. Like, we have nice, healthy fields going forward here right now. Lang says the season started extremely dry, and when they started their first cut, the yields were marginal. He notes the hay that was cut a little later started to yield better thanks to the rain just before the first cut. And Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers is providing a crop update in this week's Bean Report. Here's production specialist Laura Schmidt. Soybeans range from V1 to V4 and will be starting to flower with a change in day length. IDC symptoms have started to show up in some fields, but most fields remain symptom-free. Dry beans range from the unifoliate to the third trifoliate stage. Southern areas of the province received high winds, damaging some bean crops, resulting in leaf tearing and stem breakage, 
which thankfully now are regrowing from axillary buds. In these fields, expect some bacterial blight to infect those damaged plants. And at low severity levels, this isn't typically a yield-limiting disease. Field peas range from 8 to 10 nodes, with some at R1 or flower bud stage with a few open blooms here and there. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Tuesday, June 22nd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get a crop update from Alberta. Today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler gives us an update on what's happening with crops in Alberta. Joining me now to talk about the Alberta Crop Report, crop statistician Ashan Shusterian. And Ashan, let's start by talking about the moisture that Alberta has seen and what kind of a difference it's made. Over the past 30 days, precipitation in Alberta mostly occurred in the upper half of the central region, in the northeast and northwest regions, and in the extreme southern parts of the Peace region. These led to moderately high to very high soil moisture in much of the northwest and northeast regions, with some areas in the northern parts of the northeast region having extremely high moisture. In contrast, Soil moisture reserves are moderately low to extremely low throughout much of the south region, as well as the southern and eastern parts of the central region. Soil moisture across much of the Peace region is very low, with a large area in the central Peace estimated to be near a 1 in 50 year low. Provincial surface soil moisture ratings are now rated as 10% poor, 25% fair, 54% good and 10% excellent with 1% excessive. Subsurface soil moisture ratings are estimated at 8% poor, 25% fair, 52% good and 14% excellent with 1% excessive. So what do we see happening as far as crop condition and development is concerned? Provincial crop growing conditions are now rated as 82% good to excellent compared to the 5-year average of 77% and 10-year average of 75%. Regionally, growing conditions across the province vary. The best rating is for the northwest region with 95% of crops in good or excellent condition. This was followed by the central and northeast regions where 89% of crops are rated as good or excellent. Ratings are the lowest in the south region at 70% good or excellent below the five-year average due to the lack of moisture. For the Peace region, growing condition ratings are slightly better than normal at 73% in good or excellent conditions, while some areas in the central Peace are under stress from the dry condition. Are there any issues that are impacting crops right now? As mentioned, variable precipitation over the past months resulted in variable soil moisture reserves, crop growing conditions, and pasture and tame hay conditions across the province. In the northeast-northwest region, as well as in most parts of the central region, warm temperatures and adequate moisture contributed to active growth for crops and forages. However, in southern parts of the central region, some counties still need moisture in order to maintain growth and prevent yield loss. Also, 
standing water is reported in some low-lying areas in the northwest region with some crops showing signs of excessive moisture. In the south region, moisture is needed for dry land fields as precipitation has been limited and hot temperatures have impacted forage yields and the growth of crops and pastures in most areas. In the peace region, temperatures were in mid to high 20 degrees Celsius range over the past week with high winds. This, along with small precipitation, have resulted in depleting soil moisture in some parts of the region, especially in the central part. That's a look at Alberta's crop report for Golden West. I'm Glendale Allen Vossler. On Friday, Minister of Indigenous Services Mark Miller announced investments of over $4 million in 16 projects that will help support Indigenous food systems initiatives. The money will provide equitable access to healthy food and increased participation of underrepresented groups in the agriculture and agri-food sector. Here's Chief Cadmus Delorme of 4C Farms in Saskatchewan. Cows' First Nation, we are in the Treaty 4 territory in Saskatchewan, Canada. Houses received $922,000 and with that, Houses is now able to move our 1,500-acre farm operation to 4,500-acres farm operation. We also currently oversee 150 Black Angus and this investment is going to be able for us to increase our Angus production. Houses First Nation, once we agreed to Treaty 4, we transitioned to a agriculture First Nation. Within the first 10 years, we were able to win crop competitions against our settler friends. We were able to win cattle competitions against our settler friends. We transitioned very well. When the pass system hit in 1885, it started to hinder us from our great progress. It started to create policy to to stop us from farming. And my ancestors continued to to work with this new life of agriculture that we were excited for. Uh, The residential school time did not help as well. By 1950, um, we were already starting to dwindle down as um, not great farmers. It wasn't for the fact that we didn't want to. It was by the fact that um, what we all inherited today, our prior policies and our past systems and the way Indigenous people, in this case, Cows' First Nation, was treated, um, there was almost a jealousy uh, of how successful we transitioned. And so around 1980... Um, the last generation of our farmers on houses were starting to retire. By 2010, uh, the over 32,000 acres that houses has agriculture ready was farmed by non-Cowses, non-Indigenous farmers. And the socioeconomic spin-off was not affecting houses in a good way. In 2019, houses began to reassert our farming initiative. And it's grants like this that will invest in us to make sure that we're at that equal stage. The GDP spinoff that Cowsys plans to do in farming more and more acres 
in the um, seed production, the gas uh, sales, taking it to the pools. Uh, we look forward to, to being that contributor. We want to be an agriculture leader in this country. First Nations are not. One of the things we have is we have the land readily available. We are now training our members to be farmers again. We look at this as a banned First Nation business, so that is why it's called 4C Farms. Our 4,300 citizens have many challenges today, but with our socioeconomic spin-off and our economic self-sustainability, this investment is going to help houses be that champion. And in years to come, we want to make sure that we can show our success story because when Kauses succeeds, Saskatchewan succeeds. And when we succeed, Canada succeeds. That was Chief Cadmus DeLorem of 4C Farms in Saskatchewan, one of the recipients of funding that was announced last week. On Friday, Minister of Indigenous Services Mark Miller announced investments of over $4 million in 16 projects across the country that will help support Indigenous food systems initiatives. The projects announced through the Indigenous Agriculture and Food Systems Initiative and the Agri-Diversity Program build on previous federal support of $2.1 million. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Egg Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Egg in Motion invites you to join an online session tomorrow entitled Getting On With Growing Vigilance in Crop Care starting at 9 a.m. Registration details can be found on the Egg in Motion website and Farm Credit Canada is offering a free online workshop entitled The Modern Family Farm Transition on July 13th. Go to the FCC website to register. It's time now for the Bean Report, brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. Joining us today is production specialist Laura Schmidt. Soybeans range from V1 to V4 and will be starting to flower with a change in day length. IDC symptoms have started to show up in some fields, but most fields remain symptom-free. Dry beans range from the unifoliate to the third trifoliate stage. Southern areas of the province received high winds, damaging some bean crops, resulting in leaf tearing and stem breakage, which thankfully now are regrowing from axillary buds. In these fields, expect some bacterial blight to infect those damaged plants. And at low severity levels, this isn't typically a yield-limiting disease. Grasshopper nymphs have been feeding at field edges. At vegetative stages, the threshold for control in soybeans is greater than 30% defoliation, and for dry beans, it's 35% defoliation. Research from Ontario has also indicated that soybeans can tolerate up to about 50% defoliation at those early V stages. Border or edge sprays at these stages are often enough for control. Field peas range from 8 to 10 nodes, with some at R1 or flower bud stage, with a few open blooms here and there. Faba beans are also advancing with earlier seeded crops beginning to flower at around 8 to 9 leaf nodes. So as peas and faba beans start flowering, it's a good time to check in on nodulation below ground to make sure it's going to carry you through pod fill. So dig up plants from different areas of the field and assess overall plant growth, nodule development, the number of nodule clusters, and their locations. Peas and fabas have nodules that branch, so we use a scorecard to rate nodulation in those crops, which is available in this week's bean report. One pest to keep an eye out for as these crops move to reproductive stages are pea aphids. 
Unlike soybean aphids, a smaller number of aphids per plant tip can cause economical damage. The threshold is two to three aphids per plant tip in peas. So keep an eye out for them. And windstorms, again, also mean bacterial blight has set into peas too. And these symptoms can be easily confused with microsphorella blight. So we have pictures of both in this week's bean report to help you identify each when you're making those fungicide decisions since bacterial blight won't be controlled with fungicide. Laura, what do farmers need to consider when uh, making fungicide decisions? So microsphorella blight is the main target of fungicides in field peas. From 10 nodes to early flower or R2, scout for symptoms, which most commonly start to show up as small, dark freckles on lower leaves. Cool, wet weather will favor disease development. Foliar fungicide applications are typically made at R2 when one flower is open on most plants across the field. But in drier years, it might be beneficial to delay that application. So we have a new fungicide decision worksheet available for peas, and it's available in this week's report and on our website at manitobafalls.ca. But things to consider include the characteristics of the crop canopy and how dense the stand is, leaf wetness and humidity, the five-day forecast, and how many plants are already showing symptoms. So watch for Microsphorella and its progression up that pea plant canopy from early bloom at R2 to full pod at R4. While you're scouting for it, also take a look for those pea aphids and nodulations. Just wanted to wrap things up here today, uh, talking a little bit about IDC and soybeans. So soybeans that have yellowing between the leaf veins on younger trifoliate leaves, it's due to iron deficiency chlorosis, or IDC. So conditions that lead to IDC include excess moisture, salinity, high carbonates, and or high nitrate levels in the soil. So it's often a temporary condition that will resolve itself when soils dry up and plants that recover by the V5 to V6 stage shouldn't experience much yield loss. There aren't really any effective in-season management options, so it's important to accurately diagnose the problem now and plan to use uh, IDC-tolerant varieties in the future when you're planning that crop rotation in that field. Thanks, Laura. Laura Schmidt is a production specialist with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. The Bean Report is brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. You can find out more at manitobapulse.ca. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers is providing a crop update in this week's Bean Report. Here's production specialist Laura Schmidt. Field peas range from 8 to 10 nodes, with some at R1 or flower bud stage with a few open blooms here and there. Faba beans are also advancing with earlier seeded crops beginning to flower at around 8 to 9 leaf nodes. So as peas and faba beans start flowering, it's a good time to check in on nodulation below ground to make sure it's going to carry you through pod fill. Soybeans range from V1 to V4 and will be starting to flower with the change in day length. And grasshopper emergence is well underway. John Gavlosky is with Manitoba Agriculture. So grasshopper hatch is getting fairly close to being complete. We're probably at the point where we're, well, the majority of grasshoppers have hatched now. So now is a really good time to be scouting areas that had lush green vegetation late last year. Field edges, the roadside ditches, pastures, late crops. Those will be the areas where you're more likely to find any higher levels. He says there has been some insecticide applications to field edges and pastures for grasshoppers. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. 
Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll take a look at the weekly crop reports. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.